and welcome to the Christian Formation Podcast. I'm Raven, and I'm here with Andrew, one of our pastors at Providence Church. The goal of this podcast is to form disciples to live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Today, we're discussing if God changes his mind. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Andrew, what was your favorite Thanksgiving food growing up as a child? Uh, Stuffing stuffing yeah i don't why i don't know maybe my mom just made it really well with breadcrumbs or without i don't totally remember i just remember (laughs) thinking as a kid i also am much more into like salty things than like really sweet things Mm -hmm. and so that like i didn't like any i don't know what else do people eat like green bean casserole yeah that's good but like i'm thinking like the cranberry stuff i didn't like pie at all growing up so i didn't do much of the like dessert things or like the sweet like side things and so it's just the turkey and stuffing i mean i ate the other stuff a little bit right i just didn't like that stuff as much yeah what do you look forward to now uh mostly the meat yeah that's true i know every year we have smoked chicken but this oh. year, my grandma bought a ham and smoked chicken. Okay. But I Wait, so you never did turkey? Well, no, I mean, we did do turkey growing up, but it always was dry. And so... It is hard, I feel like, to make it well. That was your favorite growing up, was the well, chicken? we started doing this six years ago, I think. So growing up, it was always sweet potato pie. My grandma makes it oh. with pecans, honey, and brown sugar on top. So it crystallizes and it bakes on there. It's just so good. Do you like... All the like sweet stuff and pies and no, I feel like I really do like the savory things, but also I'm a sucker for anything baked. So any baked yeah. good is like my thing. But honestly, my grandma's sweet potato pie is better than any of her baked good things that wow. she makes. Yeah, she just does a really good job, and it's a family recipe. It's been in the family for years, so it's just good. Wow, Thanksgiving foods. I know, but whatever you ate for Thanksgiving, we hope that it was delicious, delightful, and that you are recovering from that food coma. But today we're going to hopefully wake you up a little bit and talk about the topic of whether or not God changes his mind. Why are we addressing this topic, Raven? Over the past couple of episodes, we've been discussing big questions that we have that others have over the Old Testament. And God changing his mind is a question that people frequently have because we see different passages where it says that God changed his mind or relented or repented. And that's just really hard to make sense of. It is very confusing. I do think in conversations I've had with people about the Old Testament, this seems to be one of the frequently asked questions. I don't know if you, have you thought much about it or have you wondered or studied it or anything like that before? Oh yeah. I think you and I had a conversation about it two years ago, maybe because I was just so confused by God relenting and not wiping out an entire city after someone prayed. Yeah. Why does why does it feel so either confusing or why do we want to get to the answer of that question? Because there's a lot of questions we have about the Bible. There's a lot of things that aren't super clear. But to me, it does feel like this one is a repeated one that keeps coming up for people. I think it's because it doesn't make sense with everything that we've learned about God. We learn that he's over all things and that he never changes, right? In James 1, 17, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So we have different places in Scripture where it talks about God being the same forever, 
But then when you see that he relents or changes, that threatens the very thought that we've had about God forever and how we've understood him. Okay, we'll get into a couple of the actual texts and look at hopefully getting closer to an answer on this question. But what would you say to start? What feels better? You know, like, so you see a story about God saying, I'm going to wipe out a nation, and then he relents or changes his mind and doesn't do it. Does that feel like, okay, that's good that God changes and switches? Or does that feel unhelpful that God said, yep, I'm going to do this. And now, nope, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do this instead. Because I just wonder for the average person listening, I like I know in my mind, which one I lean toward, but that's definitely shaped by experience and stuff because one feels more comforting to me or like better. But I just wonder, yeah, I don't know for the average person, I, I would guess it's a little bit split on which people find more comforting yeah. or what sounds better. Yeah. Yeah. I would personally say that God relenting is great and is what I would want. But then that begs the question, do my prayers change God? And if so, a lot more is riding on my prayers than I thought. And so I feel like that gives this weird, uneasy, like works-based thought into everything. But yeah, I mean, I would want God to relent and change after pleading with him. But at the same time, I don't want him to change because I want him to be steady, secure, and unchanging. If he can change with that, well, wouldn't that mean he could change in other ways too? Well, I do think that is a great question. And I think maybe the main question on both sides of that is if he doesn't change his mind and he just has his plan and he just does it, then yeah, it begs the question to the relationship aspect of why do I pray at all? Like, you know, if God just is going to do what he's going to do, why does it matter what I do? And are we really in this relationship or not? On the other side, if he does change his mind and he kind of says, yep, I'm going to do this. And then he decides, nope, I'm not going to do that anymore. Now I'm going to do this. It does beg the question, well, to what extent does he change? Mm -hmm. Will he change on his promises to me? He promises that I'll be in a relationship with him. But what if tomorrow he says, "Never mind, like I, we're not going to be in a relationship anymore. Or I promise that I'm always going to be faithful, but never mind, like I'm not going to be faithful to these promises anymore. So either way, you do have some questions that have to get answered. The interesting thing is, I think the Bible gives us answers to both of those, but it just may not be quite as clear or clean mm-hmm. as we might want to make it. And you know that I'm already squirming over here because I don't want I know, it to which would be, be nice. It, but let's maybe, let's just go to a couple texts and let's just see what is the dilemma. Like, why is there a question here? So maybe one that's really helpful is looking at the golden calf story. Mm. So Exodus 32 I can't remember. Did we talk about this earlier? The golden calf thing in one of the episodes? I don't I remember if we did. don't remember. Well, so- Oh, with all of the people worshiping the golden calf while Moses was up on the- Yeah. Yeah, we did. Maybe we did. Okay, so maybe people remember, because I know I'm sure people remember all the things we say on these episodes. <laughs> so Exodus 32, Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God. The people of Israel, they think after a while that he has died up there. And so they tell Aaron- hey, build for us a calf or a God that we can worship. So he takes all their gold, builds a golden calf, then tells the people, here's the gods that brought you out of Egypt, and they worship it. Well, while Moses is still up on the mountain, God knows what's going on down there, and he tells Moses that this is a wicked people. They're already worshiping other gods. Like immediately after God just 
saved them from Egypt. They formed a covenant together. Now they're already worshiping an idol. So God says, I'm going to wipe out this people and we're going to start over, you and me. So he says, Moses, I'm going to create a new people through you. I'm going to wipe everybody else out. So Moses responds to God by telling him that he has promised to be faithful to this people, that these are the people that he saved from Egypt, that if he wipes them all out, he says, what's that going to do for his reputation, that he saved people and then he killed them all. So he says, God, don't kill these people. Somehow figure out how to still be with them. And then in Exodus 32, 14, after Moses intercedes in prayer for them, it says, And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Hmm. So that word relented, uh, it's a Hebrew word, naham, which can mean a lot of different things. So one of the meanings is obviously relented or repent, or it could be to change or change one's mind. And so the question in this passage, and there's a few other ones throughout the Old Testament is, What does that mean that God told Moses, I'm going to do this? Moses said, don't do that. And God said, okay, I won't do that anymore. Right, yeah. Essentially, how do we make sense of God changing his mind or relenting or repenting from the disaster he was going to do? Yeah, exactly. And the fact that Moses essentially had to remind God of all of his promises. I don't know. Even that yeah. was kind of weird. And how he like addressed God right. and saying yeah, like, he, don't do this because. Yeah, because you promised you led these people out. You, 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 right? Yeah. That's pretty huge too. Why does that feel interesting or odd? So in Exodus 34, God describes himself. And yeah, this is after, but he says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, all of these things. And it also says that he will have judgment. But if he is forgiving and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, then you would think he would just remember to be faithful to his promise. He wouldn't need Moses to remind him. Right, exactly. Of who he is, yeah. Well, so yeah, so that is interesting. And I think we'll come back to that. So in Exodus 32, you have this story. The Lord nahamed, he relented. Well, just two books later in Numbers 23. So you mentioned a passage in James, but even in the Old Testament, right next to this book, it says this, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should naham or change his mind. Mm. So it says God's not a man. He's not going to lie and he's not going to change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Mm. So there, same author is writing the story and he says, God's, God's not like us. He will not change his mind. Even though two books earlier, it said from Moses' hand, the Lord changed his mind or relented. So that's why there's these dilemmas because you do have God multiple times saying he's not going to change. He's going to be faithful. He is who he is and he does what he does. Like that is who God is. But then you have this story. You have another story in Jonah where God said, I'm going to wipe out this city And then Jonah goes, he preaches, they repent, and God changes his mind again. And he says, nope, I'm not going to do that. So that essentially is the dilemma that sets up this question. So does God change his mind or not? And what do you think? Okay, well, it's kind of tricky that Naham means both. Like it says that he, Naham, changed his mind, but then he also 
doesn't um, change his mind. Like, that's just confusing. So that's a little bit frustrating. But I'm starting to wonder something in the back of my head. You know, like those old TVs, when you turn them on, they take a second for the picture to like slowly come to the surface. That's what I feel like is happening in my brain right now. Just thought I would give you a visual. I like it. Um, What is slowly coming into (laughs) focus or picture? So I feel... Like, I don't know if I read this somewhere or studied this somewhere or what, but doesn't God tell his people that if they repent, he will forgive them? So maybe that's somehow in the mix of because they repented, he forgave them. But if they hadn't repented, he would have wiped them out. I mean, that doesn't answer the whole change his mind thing. Well, but you're saying as the situation was at the beginning of Exodus 32, he was going to wipe them out. But something changed by Exodus thirty two fourteen, where God said that he relents and he changes. Is that what you're saying? Like the situation right. is different? Right. Yeah. I feel like the situation is different. And there's something to do with repentance that when people repent, God will forgive them. Like a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. I don't remember if that's a psalm or where that is. Mm. But because of that and because he says that he will forgive his people, I'm wondering then if because they repented and he knew that they would repent, well, then he changed his mind, but he didn't really change his mind. He just knew what was going to happen. And so history took a turn. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, I I think it does. And I'm pretty sure I agree with what you're saying. Really? Yeah. Why why are you surprised? I don't know. Because this was just a jumbled mess. So I'm glad you can kind of understand what I'm trying to say. If I'm understanding what you're saying, I think that I agree because- What I think is clear through Exodus is God is teaching his people who he is and what he will do. You see that all throughout the book of Exodus. It's this people in slavery that are figuring out who is this Yahweh that is the God of their fathers that they don't know that now they're going to be in a relationship together. So the whole book of Exodus is teaching who is this God. So you just read the verse before in Exodus 34 that talks about the Lord being both gracious, merciful, forgiving, and loving. But also you said that the verse has at the end that he will bring judgment to those who sin and who walk away to the third and fourth generation. So I think what he's doing in the story is in some ways he's teaching both of those concepts. Hmm. So that people that walk in idolatry, even though they are his people and they formed a covenant, if they will not like stay faithful to him, they do deserve his judgment and they do deserve to be wiped out. And he's teaching that that is true. But what changes between that point and when he relents? Moses pleads on behalf of the people and asks for forgiveness. Yeah, there was somebody who stepped in on Mm -hmm. Israel's behalf and said, God, this is who you are. This is your character. And Moses stood in that gap for them interceding on their behalf. And God says, okay, the situation had changed because now there's someone interceding and standing in the gap on behalf of his people. And so it's not just that God changed his mind and was like, I was angry a moment ago. Now my anger has kind of subsided. So I guess I'm not going to wipe you out anymore. It's that the situation has changed. Like you said, 
There's now an intercessor that's standing in between God and his sinful people. And God says, oh, if that's the case, then yes, Hmm. I will not destroy my people. Which is interesting because it's not just the people saying, Lord, forgive us. It's someone who God sees as righteous that he's able to say, okay, yeah, through you, I'll do it. Yeah. But on their own terms and by them alone, I'm not. Like, I can't. And he's already a mediator, which we did talk about this before, because all the people didn't go up into the presence of God. Moses alone on their behalf goes into the presence of God. And when they sin, Moses stands in the gap for them and says, don't go after them. I'm going to stand here kind of in their place and be that for them. And God accepts that and says, okay, I will not wipe out a sinful people if there's a righteous mediator that stands in the gap for them. That's cool. Yeah. And so that means that that Exodus 34 passage is true. He is gracious and forgiving so long as there's a mediator that stands in the gap for sinful people. And if not, he will bring judgment against sin because he's just and right and he has to do that. And so his character doesn't change. And I don't think it means that his mind changes. I think he's teaching his people. Both of these things are true. No mediator for a sinful people, they will be destroyed. If there's an intercessor, a mediator standing in the gap, he will be gracious and merciful for them on his behalf. That's cool. And it doesn't explicitly say in Exodus 34 that he needs a mediator, but it's just kind of implied because when it says forgiving the iniquity and transgression and sin or transgression, right? Like the deliberate disobedience, iniquity is like this warping of God's good, faithful, perfect law. All of that is what we do. And on our own, we are not holy before him at all. And so we need a mediator is essentially what you're saying, right? Because we are guilty and we continue by our nature to sin and to warp the good things of God. However, when we have a mediator, that is how we can be fully forgiven because God requires some sort of sacrifice or someone to stand in the gap. Yeah, and what you see again is like a shadow in Exodus 32 becomes more clear in Leviticus when they find out, okay, what exactly do we need to be in the presence of God? We need sacrifices. You need these things. So the whole Old Testament is moving from like this shadowy figure of God and his relationship with us, and it's becoming more clear. So here, yeah, you don't see all of that stuff explicitly spelled out, but then when you get to Leviticus, and then when you get move on and you read through the rest of the Bible, it becomes clear what's in like kind of seed form here Mm -hmm. is the truth of needing someone on our behalf to stand in our place, to take our sins for us. That just becomes more clear as the scriptures go. And so it's not that God changes his mind here. I think exactly what you said is that the situation changed and God is using this to teach his people something, which I will also say, this does mean that he is relationally involved with his people and with what's happening it's not that he is just this static distant god because again he's responding to what is happening if if there's no mediator he will wipe his people that's just a truth about god that his people will be wiped out in their sin but as a mediator comes forward he's engaging in the moment with his people which to me just shows a little bit of like the intimacy and god's kindness Because he could just tell them, but he's actually revealing and showing them in real time his character and who he is through what's going on. Yeah, and I was just having a conversation with someone yesterday. She and I were working on a project for the church, 
And I had her go through everything on her own. I could have just told her how to do it, but I had her kind of figure it out. And then also, as I was telling her and leading her, she was doing it herself because people better learn when they're in those circumstances and situations. And so I think it's cool that God kind of does that too. He allows us to not only learn through other people in the Old Testament, but he also allows the people in the Old Testament to kind of go through these trial and error on their own in order to show us the greater picture and what we should really be doing or how we should really be approaching God. Yeah, and he's kind enough to do that with us, and which is crazy when you think about how big and glorious and majestic our God is to condescend, not in the negative way, but just like to come down and engage with us at that level is kind of crazy. Okay, if God doesn't change, why do we pray? If we can't change his mind, why are we praying to him to ask if he could heal someone or if he could do something? Well, I think from Exodus 32, the answer is that it's not that he's changing his mind, but he is engaging with the prayer of Moses for the people and he responds accordingly. So Moses does pray. That's essentially what he's doing. He's praying that God would act on behalf of his character, which is gracious and merciful. And God says yes, and he does do that. So we've said the situation changed there, but part of that situation changing is that Moses is praying and asking the Lord to do something. And what we said earlier is he is relationally involved in the world. So it's not this like static relationship. It is a dynamic kind of relationship between us and God, and he does respond to our prayers. And so he's not changing his mind in that he wants to do something or he was going to do one thing and now he's going to like completely change and his character or his will or something is going to be totally different. It's that within his sovereignty and providence in the world, he's using the prayers of his people to accomplish his purposes. Mm makes sense so even if his people don't pray and nothing changes in one sense the overall picture of god's providence or what he wants to accomplish in the world will still be done because he can't be thwarted yes i think this is i mean we're probably bumping up to not only our own personal mental limitations but i think just the limitations we have in understanding God's sovereignty and how he interacts with people, because I don't think you can minimize either. Mm -hmm. Time and time again, you see in the Bible, he is responding to and engaging with a people and what they're doing and what they're asking for. And you just, you have to say that's a part of it. And time and time again, we hear that he is sovereign, that his plans can't be thwarted, that what he says will come to pass. So all those things are also true. So somehow within God's providence, We have to hold a position that generally says God is sovereign over all things. He's providentially involved in all things. And he is doing that through the relationship with his people and their prayers and Mm -hmm. what they do in that relationship. And that also plays a part in it. Uh, James in the New Testament says um, there are certain things that we have not because we have not asked for those things. So somehow you have to include that in some of this, that he's saying there's there's things that the Lord might give that we don't ask for. And how does that work within his sovereignty and, and our relationship with him? It can be confusing, but I think you have to be able to somewhere land in the middle there of holding both of those. 
Thank you for joining us today. The goal of the Christian Formation Podcast is to live all of life with the presence of God, and we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Please like this, rate it, review it, share it so that it can get out to more people. If you have any questions, email us at formation at providenceomaha.org. We'll see you next week.